Well, today I want to speak to you on this, the God who makes things new. Um, we know New Year's resolutions, uh, people make New Year's resolutions. I hope as Christians that we'll make some spiritual resolutions. It could be I'm going to read my Bible every day or I'm going to witness more to people. It could be many things, but I hope we'll make some spiritual resolutions. Now, a lot of times with the Christians and the Word, we make resolutions, and a lot of them are that, you know, we're going to maybe have better health, do something, I'm going to try to change my lifestyle or whatever. Um, and it made me think of a story that I heard the, a couple of weeks ago. The Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon, and I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but that's my Tennessee way of saying it, all right? Ponce de Leon, all right? Um, he was the Spanish explorer, and if you read anything about the history of him, in the year 1513, a long time ago, 1513, he, with his, some of his men, had been hearing this story that there was a fountain of youth, all right? A fountain of youth. And so some people that said they were witnesses of it told him that it was in this place that everyone thought was an island, and it was called Florida, all right? Uh, where we live today, they actually thought this place was an island back then. So his men got in a ship, they came to Florida, you probably know, they, they, it seems like they landed probably somewhere around St. Augustine, and they went around through this whole state looking for this fountain of youth. Uh, when I read, read the story, it said they searched every lagoon, even they said the word pool, I don't know, <laughs> I guess people had some pools back then, but they searched every body of water they could find, searching to see if there was this fountain of youth, and of course, we know there's no such thing as this fountain of youth. But uh, as I was reading that, it also said that he wasn't the first one searching for a fountain of youth. Even back in 5 B.C., 500 years before Christ was even born, Herodotus himself believed there was a fountain of youth, and so he started searching for it. So like 25 years, 100 years ago, people were searching for this thing called a fountain of youth. Now even today, people try to we try to do things to make us live longer and last longer and have better quality of life. Um, the average lifespan for today in 2022 would be 78 years for men and 81 years for women. But listen to this. In the year 1900, so 122 years ago, in 1900, the average man lived 46 years. The average woman lived 48 years which means a lot of us in here would have already been gone, all right? So uh, the lifespan was so much shorter then. We can't stop time. We can't turn the age back. We can try to turn back the clock. by so I'm going to get a little healthier or whatever, but we really can't stop age. We all know that we are slowly dying. I read where there was an interview where they interviewed people that were 100 years old and older. They asked them certain questions. One of the questions was, what are the benefits of living past 100? One, one lady said this. She said, there's no more peer pressure. All right. Another question they asked is this. They asked, what is the vision for your future? One person said this. One word answer, brief. All right. Um, and then there was a lady that I read that she went and told her pastor. She said, pastor, she was over 100. She said, when I die... I don't want not one man in this church to be a pallbearer at my funeral. And she, he thought, wow, you've been in this church a long time. Why not? So he asked her, he said, well, why would you not want any of the men in the church to be a pallbearer at your funeral? She said, when I was alive, they didn't want to take me out. And when I'm dead, I don't want them taking me out. All right? 
So we live in what's called a space of time. We live in seconds and minutes and, and days and hours and months, years, decades. We, even, we live by calendars, you know. I live by the calendar on my phone now. Uh, but God is not limited to time. I know we know this. Second uh, Peter 3.8 talks about the day of the Lord. And listen to this verse. It says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God's not put in this little time frame that we're put in. Everything with us is somebody was born, this is their birthday, and this is the day they died. And we, we live by time. God, time means nothing to God. I want to read this little commentary that talks about this thing of, of uh, a day is a thousand years with God and a thousand years is one day with God. I want to read this to you and see if you understand what it means by that. It says this, The context is the key to determining the correct understanding of this passage, especially the comparison of a thousand years to one day. So he says this, the context of this verse is the return of the Lord to deliver his people. So Peter tells the persecuted believers that scoffers are going to come and mock the idea that the Lord will return. They will say something like, he's been gone a long time, he's never coming back. As Christians are per persecuted and continue to look for the Lord to deliver them, it does appear as though his coming is delayed. But Peter reminds the believers not to lose heart because God is working on a different timetable. For a human being, if something doesn't happen within a matter of years, then we may miss it. God, however, is not limited by the same constraints of time because with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. So time is simply not an issue with God because he has an unlimited amount of it. Does that make sense to you? God's just not on our timetable. You know, if my parents told me when I was a kid, we're going to go to Disney World. And I said, when are we going? When are we going? They said, we're going to go soon. And a month went by, I'd be saying, we're not going to Disney World. I don't know why they even told me. They got my hopes up. And a year goes by. <laughs> we're not going to Disney. I don't even know why they told me that. Why did you tell me that? You got my hopes up so high. Because I'm thinking when they tell me we're going to Disney World, it means like next week, tomorrow morning maybe. Can you imagine the Israelites when for a few hundred years they were saying the Messiah is coming? The Messiah is coming. And it went generation to generation to generation. So we know why it was such a huge thing when the woman at the well is standing there and Jesus tells her, you're speaking to the Messiah. No wonder she ran back to town and said, come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. He, is he not the Messiah? Because it had been hundreds of years since they had said that. Now you and I are waiting for the coming, the return of Jesus Christ. And I remember as a kid, there was a lot of people speaking on the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming. And I'm going to be honest with you, I thought for sure he was going to come before the year 2000. There was just no way. I mean, he was, Jesus was bound to come before then. You know what? We're 22 years after that, and he's still not come. But it doesn't mean he's not coming. Because a thousand days to him is like one day, and one day is like a thousand years. And so his timetable is so much different. He's not limited to time. This right here blows my mind every time I think about it, because I cannot comprehend it, that God had no beginning. You try to lay in bed at night and think about that one, that'll give you a headache. God has no beginning. 
How could God have no beginning? But he had no beginning. And he has no ending. My mind can't comprehend that. Everything I know is a beginning and an end. You know, the child is born and then grows up and dies. Or the house was built. Everything has a beginning and an end to it. But God has no beginning and God has no end. Time does not live in God, limit God. Now we're starting a new year. And today I want to give you four things that God does that he brings and makes new. Okay? They're simple truths. You probably already know all four of them. So I'm not going to give you something that you're probably going to say, man, I never thought about that before. I never heard that before. But they're great reminders of how great our God is. All right? First of all is this one. Number one is this. God is the giver of life. God is the giver of life. What does those scriptures say? That every person is made in the image of who? Made in the image of God. That's an amazing thing. And, and every time there's conception and that child is born, it's like a miracle. It's like a miracle. And uh, God is the giver of life. Psalms 36, 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. King James Verse says, man became a living soul. There are people who deny the existence of God who gives them the very next breath that they breathe. They do not want God to have any control over their life. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about the rebellion of man. But it even says this, the scripture says, that God has shown himself even in his creation. You can see the evidence in the existence of God. So our very life is a gift from God. We're made in the image of God. I want to read in Acts chapter 17, and I'm going to have it on the screen for you because it's about 10 verses. But the Apostle Paul went into the town of Athens. And in that town, in the book of Acts, they were worshiping all kinds of idols. They were just worshiping all these different idols. And one of them said the idol to the unknown, uh, unknown God. And so Paul goes in and he sees that, and he uses that as, an, uh, as, a, as a way to declare God to them. So let me read Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22, and you follow along with me because the Scripture makes it very plain, better than I could even say it. So Paul standing in the midst of Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, Adam, he made from one man all mankind life and breath, uh, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Every one of us, you mentioned that we might look different, Brother Steve, all right? But we all go back to Adam. Every one of us go back to Adam, all right? He says... From one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Now verse 29. 
But then, God, being God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's saying, it is not these man-made images that you stick out there. It's not that at all. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he, God, commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in, in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's Jesus Christ. So these verses lead us to our next thought, which is this. Not only is God the giver of life, but God is the giver of eternal life. Now right here we just saw that Paul says, you say to the unknown God, I'm declaring the God to you that is known. I'm declaring the one God to you. And this is the God that we know that gives the eternal life. Now, you know that I'm going to give you three verses in Romans that you've heard probably most of us all our life. Romans 23, 23 states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 5, 12 explains it, saying, Therefore, as just as sin came into the world through one man, which was Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. The reason you and I might make some resolution today to say, I'm going to eat healthier so I can live longer. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do something different to change my life. Is because every one of us, because of this sin nature, we're all dying. We're all dying. But in Romans chapter 5, 6, 8, 7, 8, 9, it gives us the gospel. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, in God's timing, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We all deserve this wrath of God, but God sent his son Jesus Christ down this cross to pay for our sin. And it says we're justified with his blood. In John chapter 3, there's the story of Nicodemus, who was the ruler that you know came to Jesus at nighttime, probably maybe trying to make sure nobody else saw him. We don't know all the reasons he might have went at nighttime. But when it comes to that passage, what is the thing that Jesus tells him? He tells Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. And if you remember that story, that threw Nicodemus totally off. Because all he knew was a physical birth, and he's saying, what are you saying, born again? Can I, I'm a grown man. Can I enter into my mother's womb and be born again? He knows that's impossible. But Jesus explains to him the difference of a physical birth and a spiritual birth. A physical birth and a spiritual birth. I remember catching hold of this a, long, a few years ago. If there's one birth, there's two deaths. If you're only born physically, then you're going to die physically and then you're going to die spiritually to pay for your own sin. And sadly, it's in a place called hell and it's forever. If there's two births, there's only one death. Because if there's physical birth and spiritual birth, then there's only physical death. Because God says that heaven is eternal life. So one birth, two deaths, two births, one death. And that is very true. Jesus Christ tells this amazing miracle that's going to happen. It's this. He says that when I leave, the Spirit is coming. The Comforter is coming. And in 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, it says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus said this Holy Spirit's going to come to dwell within you after I sin. In John 16, 7, he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he says this, when a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, when they accept this new birth, this new life, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells within us. Just think about that. That God himself would dwell within me. I don't know why he would even want to, but I'm glad he does. I want to just briefly, I'm just going to mention them. I'm going to give you six things about the Spirit. One of them is one of the things Brother Steve mentioned this morning. Why? What does the Spirit do? What does the Spirit do? Well, there's a word called sanctification, which means well, a growing process. And we never stop growing spiritually. We continue to grow. You never arrive. You never know it all. And what this is, this is the Holy Spirit. Somebody said this. It's the Holy Spirit stripping away our sinful habits and bringing us into holiness. Bringing us into holiness. Make us more Christ-like. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is an example of this. Let me read this to you. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, notice this right here, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That renewing of the mind would be something that the Holy Spirit does a work within us. That my thoughts would change, my actions would change because of my thoughts, and that my, my way of life would change because my mind changes. God works in my heart and it changes. So that's an, like an example. Now here, let me give you uh, these six things. First of all, the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ. The Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ. And I gave you an example of the renewal of the mind. Now let me give you the second one. The Holy Spirit gives us power to witness. And Brother Steve mentioned it earlier, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now let me say this. You might not think that I am, but I'm a pretty timid guy in some ways. I know you probably think I'm not. But, but when I was growing up, the thought of me ever getting up and speaking before people, I'm telling you, you talk about breaking out in a sweat and my hands would be dripping water. It would terrify me. I didn't even want to stand up in class and say, my name is Tommy Stone. I was scared to even do that. You know, my voice would be shaking. And I got that from my father. I've heard my dad pray in church and he was so nervous, his voice was quivering. God finally gave him victory over it and got better with it. But God wants us to witness. Now listen, sometimes we say, it's just hard for me to witness. And I understand that. I understand that. But it's not your power or my power to witness. God the Holy Spirit gives you the power to witness. Have you ever been talking to someone about God and a verse popped in your mind and you knew God gave me that verse? That's just the power of the Holy Spirit helping you. So if you're talking to that man or woman at your work, God's going to help you. It's not in your power or strength.
to witness. God's going to help you. You're talking to that neighbor. God's going to help you. It's not our strength anyway. And one of the greatest things we can do is what Brother Steve said this morning, and that is to be a witness, to lead people to Christ, to, to share Scripture with them, to live it in front of them and to show them the Christ life. So he wants us to be witnesses. Number three is this. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He's going to guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. So He's going to guide me into truth. What changes someone to think this? Abortion is okay. And now they say abortion is not okay. What changed that? The Spirit of truth. God's Word is truth, and as I read it, the Holy Spirit enlightens my thoughts, and the Spirit of truth changes my thoughts. As we become believers in Christ, and we do sanctification, and we start growing, there's a lot of things that change about our thinking. What we used to think was okay, we say, that's not really okay at all, because God says it's not. We say, I don't want to do that. Now we say, I want to do that because that's pleasing to God. Because God guides us into the spirit of truth. Here's the fourth thing. And this is a good one, though we might think it's negative. It's really a positive. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. That's really a positive. That's really a God that cares about me and loves me so much that he says, that is wrong. That is sinful. I'm going to convict you of that so that you change. He convicts us of sin. John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's a true friend that would convict me of my sin and move me toward holiness. Number five, the Holy Spirit reveals God's word to us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. And then the last one, the Holy Spirit brings us closer to other believers. Pastor Fies is going through the book of Acts, and in there we're seeing where believers were coming together and unifying, because that's what the Spirit of God does. Acts 4.32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That's people saying, whatever's mine, it's yours. You're my Christian brother, you're my Christian sister. And I'll do everything I can to help you because the Holy Spirit brings us closer. Now, we've said this, talking about new things. God's the giver of life. God's the giver of eternal life. And here's a new thing. Here's the third thing. New grace and mercy. The Scripture says that God's mercies are new every day. As we go through this year, when you got up today on January the 2nd, God's mercies are new. Tomorrow we're going to get up on January 3rd and God's mercies are are new, and I'm glad they're new because I need them every day, every day. Lamentations 3 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't deserve it, but God is merciful every day. There's a great story in the Old Testament about mercy and grace, and you probably know it, but it's David... King David and Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Just a little background here. King Saul, Jonathan's father, was the first king of Israel. 
And Jonathan, Saul's son, and David became best of friends. I mean, their hearts were like knit together. They were so close. And in 1 Samuel 18, they actually made a covenant between them of their friendship. They made a covenant, Jonathan and David. And in verse 3, it says that David and Jonathan loved each other as their own soul. They loved each other that much. Uh, let me read this in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Let me read what it says about that. It says that when King Saul and Jonathan went out to battle, they were killed on the same day. So Saul and his son Jonathan were killed on the same day. And on that day, everybody in the kingdom of Saul that was under there, his relatives and all, they had to flee. Because you know what would happen when they're overthrown. They come in and they're going to kill everybody in the family. So Mephibosheth was five years old. And you probably know the story where it says that his nurse grabbed him, they took off, and Mephibosheth fell at five years old. And it says he was crippled in both legs. So his whole life, he grew up from five years old up. He was a man that was crippled in his legs. Many years go by. Many years go by. And King David remembers his covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan has been dead many years. And in 1 Samuel 20, verse 15, this is what David remembers. Jonathan's words. These were Jonathan's words to David. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of your enemies of David from the face of the earth. So David remembers that covenant that they made. So David asks around and says, is there anyone left of the lineage of Jonathan? Anyone left of the house of Saul? And they tell him there's one. There's one. His name is Mephibosheth. And it says he's living in a place called Lodabar. I'm going to read 2 Samuel chapter 9 because this is a great story of grace given and mercy given from a king to a man that could have been life taken. But David has mercy on him. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Notice this, for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Abiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, 
According to all that my Lord and the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. Notice, for, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. This is a great story of someone, I can imagine when these guys show up, Ziba shows up and says, Mephibosheth, King David wants to see you. I just imagine his heart dropped. He probably thought, oh me, I'm the last survivor and he's come to kill me. They're taking me back because that's what kings do. They kill everyone so there's nobody overthrowing them and he's taking me back to kill me. But boy, did he have the shock of his life when he said, no, you're going to eat at my table for the rest of your life and everything that your father and your grandfather had is going to be restored back to you. And listen to this, this man Ziba and his sons and his servants are going to Work until that land that's yours and give you everything that, that's, that grows on it. You see, when we see this, uh, this response from David to Mephibosheth, it illustrates a great thing that's in our life. David shows kindness through Jonathan. David illustrates God the Father who shows kindness. Jonathan's name means the Lord is given. So Jonathan's kind of illustrating like God the Son. And then Mephibosheth represents the one who receives the blessing which you and me. Because you and I are spiritually lame on our feet. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. But Jesus Christ came and gives us eternal life, this new birth. And he says, though you don't deserve it, you're now a son. and You're going to eat at my table for the rest of your life. Though you don't deserve it, this is the inheritance that you get. You see, we get something we don't deserve just like Mephibosheth did. And then let me give you this last one, because this leads into this last one. God is the giver of life. God is the giver of eternal life. God has mercies that are new every day. And then God has prepared a new place for us. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus gave his disciples a promise in John chapter 14. He's spending his last night with his disciples. He's going to be betrayed and crucified on a cross. He spent three years preparing them so that they can spread the gospel after he's gone. So he's having this last meal with them. So what's he going to say? What's his last speech going to be about? How is Jesus going to encourage these men that he's about to leave? Is he going to give them some strategic plan or what's he going to say to them? Jesus knows what lies ahead for these men because every one of these men are going to die as martyrs except for John. So what does Jesus say to them? You know what he does? He encourages them about heaven. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, this is what he says to them. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Heaven is real. Heaven is real. Many years ago, in fact, it's been 41 years ago now, there was a guy that was in the group called the Beatles named John Lennon. This song is still played on the radio a lot today. And the song was called Imagine. And in that song, John Lennon, being someone who worshipped Buddha and someone that didn't believe there was a God, he was an atheist, he said this, he said, Imagine that there's no heaven. Imagine that there's no hell because that's what he was trying to believe, and that's what he was trying to push. But it's not true. And John Lennon died in 1980 and found out 
the truth that there is a heaven and there is a hell. As we talk about heaven, I want to give you some misconceptions about heaven. What some people think heaven is, that's not really, not, it's not this at all. Here's some misconceptions about heaven. I remember hearing about heaven as a kid, and just to be honest, I remember at times thinking, that almost kind of sounds boring to me. That don't really sound like fun to me. That doesn't really sound like something I want to do. And it was because I had some of these same misconceptions. Here's one. We are spirits that float around and play harps all the time. Maybe we're like Clarence in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and we're going to do something to earn our wings. You know, it's, it's amazing. People believe stuff like that. Everyone in heaven is wearing a white robe all the time. We're standing on clouds. Here's one. Heaven is going to be one long church service. Now, if you're a kid, that's the one that makes you go, oh, you got to be kidding me. That's not what heaven's going to be. Dr. David Jeremiah says this. Heaven is no figment of the imagination, nor it is a feeling state of mind or the invention of man. Heaven is a real, literal place prepared by Christ for prepared people. You see, when you look at the statistics about dying, we all have this terminal disease called mortality, and the current death rate is 100%. One out of one dies. If God tarries His coming, everybody in this auditorium will one day die. Every one of us will. Listen to these statistics about people dying. Worldwide, listen to this, three people die every second. 180 people die every minute. Nearly 11,000 every hour. So since we've been here in church, over 11,000 people have either gone to heaven or hell. That means 250,000 people every day go out into eternity. That's a lot of people. A quarter of a million people a day die. And they either go to heaven or they go to hell. Now I want to read Revelations 21.6 and we're about done here, okay? I want to read this about the new heaven, then I want to say some things about the new heaven and the new earth. In Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, John speaking says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks, we believe, of himself in the third person. He says there was a man, and it seems like he's speaking of himself. But he says this man went up to the third heaven. He said he went up to the third heaven and he saw heaven and he said that it was so great, he said, I can't even speak of it. You see, those who are in heaven right now, goodness, they have no desire whatsoever to come back here and live with us. Why in the world would they? 
Why would they want to come back from a perfect place to a sinful place? They don't. And yet they're in this third heaven today. As I did some studying on heaven, I'm going to tell you what I, what I believe from studying. I believe that those who, have, who pass now go to the third heaven that Paul speaks of. And I believe when he says that it's a new heaven and a new earth, that there's, the Bible says that this earth is going to be destroyed. Remember he said it was destroyed the first time by water, but the next time it's going to be by fire. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it says that that new Jerusalem that he speaks of, which I believe is that heaven and the third heaven, is going to come down to this new earth. Because what's going to happen is we're going to have a new earth and the heaven that we know of now is going to come down called the new Jerusalem and it's going to land on this new earth and it's going to be the capital of the world. Someone said, think of it this way. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they were in a perfect world, right? They were in a perfect world. And it was sinless. God gave them responsibility to take care of the garden and some things were there. But it was a perfect situation. This new heaven and this new earth is going to be what we might say similar or just like that. And we're going to live on it. We're going to live on it. And, and Jerusalem is going to be this capital of the world. And God is going to rule and reign. And we're going to be there with him. And we're going to live, if you want to say life, eternal life, on this new earth. So the heaven that is now will come down to this new earth. And it is a real, literal place. And the amazing thing is this. If you're a believer and you've accepted this eternal life or your salvation, you're going to be there. And I'm going to be there. And how long are we going to live there? It's hard to understand it, but it's going to be forever. Because there's no timetable in heaven. No timetable in heaven. Do you ever thought about this? The Bible says that heaven is one eternal day and God, His glory is the light. There's no sun or moon needed. There's no night. So have you ever thought about this? Everybody that arrives at heaven arrives on the same day because it's all one day. So we're all going to say, I got there on the same day you did. Maybe a little later if we want to say it that way, but we all got there on the same day. And it's going to be for eternity. We have a great God, a God who has given us life, and we have that today. A God who has given a way for eternal life. A God who says, my mercies are new every day. And then a God who says, I love you so much, I'll go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again to get you. Or you're going to pass from this life, and you're going to go to heaven, and you're going to live there forever. We have a great, great God. I want us to bow our head and close our eyes, if you just would, with me. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, I want to ask you this. We know that all of us here have life. That's very obvious we're here. But I want to ask you today, have you ever accepted this eternal life? Has there ever been a time in your life when you asked Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, as we read the word earlier, repentance, for the forgiveness of your sin and to come into your heart and be your Savior and give you this eternal life? This eternal life where we talked about the Holy Spirit comes to live within you for the rest of your life. And boy, does your life change. And your life could never be greater than to be having the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling within you. And then He promises you this heaven, this eternal life. Is, is there anyone here today, and you're sitting there in your seat, or you might be online, 
But God is speaking to your heart today and you're saying, you know, I don't have that eternal life. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me my sin and come into my heart. But God is speaking to me about that today. If God is speaking in your heart about that today, then today could be your day of salvation. Today, today could be the day that you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and be my Savior. Make me a child of God. And secure your eternity and live with God in your heart the rest of your life. With Christians praying and every head bowed, I want to give you an opportunity to be saved. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. wouldn't do anything like that for nothing. But if you're sitting there or listening online today and you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. You can do it right there at your seat. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can just quietly in your heart pray to God. He'll hear you. Though we might not hear you, it doesn't matter. God will hear you because he knows your prayer. And you can pray and just ask God, please forgive me of my sin. And Lord, please come into my heart and be my Savior. So we're going to just sit quietly for maybe 15 to 30 seconds and give anyone an opportunity here in our auditorium to pray that prayer and ask Jesus in their heart. So Christians, let's be praying. And let's sit quietly for just a few seconds. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning and you asked Jesus Christ into your heart, according to God's word, his promise, you just became a child of God because God keeps his word. And you are now on your way to heaven forever. And nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. If you ask Jesus Christ in your heart today, could I encourage you to do something? At the end of the service, Pastor Logan and I will be down front. We would love to know that you got saved. We'd like to give you some things to read and help you out in your Christian life. Would you just let us know? And you say, I don't, I don't know, sure. What, would you let somebody know? Would you let a family member know or somebody that's your friend? or Let somebody know that you've become a Christian so we can help you start growing in the Lord. And then Christians, today God has given us life but he's given us something greater, and that's eternal life. And we've talked about living out this Christian life for the Lord. As we've entered into this new year, we don't know what this year's gonna bring. We've been shocked with COVID and all kinds of stuff the last year or two. We don't know what this year's gonna bring, but this is what we know. God's going through this year with us. And I don't have to fear anything. I don't even have to be shocked by anything because God is not shocked, God knows. Would we do things this year and resolutions, Lord, that would draw us closer to the Lord? Maybe it could be simple as reading your Bible or prayer, your prayer life. It could be witnessing. There's so many things that would help us grow in the Lord. Let's commit ourselves to grow in the Lord this year and to be a greater witness for Him that others can see Jesus Christ in our life. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to close this in prayer today. Would you just please stand? I'm going to close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for being such a great God. Thank you for getting us through 2021. And Lord, we're excited about entering into this year. Lord, we don't know what this year's going to bring. Lord, we pray that it'll bring a lot of people getting saved. And Lord, I pray it also helped us grow spiritually in the Lord this year. 
and that you might use us in a great way to bring glory to you. So Lord, use us to be witnesses for you to be light in a dark world. Thank you again for life, for eternal life, for your mercies. Thank you, Lord, that one day we're going to spend all eternity with you. Lord, we have so much to look forward to. Lord, bless us even as we go out today, even as we go out this week. And Lord, as we get back to school or back to work or whatever, Lord, just help us, Lord, to be a witness for you everywhere we go. And we thank you for your love for us, that you died for us on the cross to save us from our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Just a reminder, if you want some envelopes, for, they're back there. Thank you for being with us today. God bless you. Have a great week. All right.